0: Well, um, one question I want to ask you is, where do you find your rest? And maybe even a more uh, revealing question is, are you resting right now? Right now, this moment, are you resting? And I want you to, to think about that and ask that. Because there's so many times that we get so, our lives and with the business of what we're doing in the, the day-to-day of our own individual schedules that we see and we make this switch so suddenly that all of a sudden we can be gathered in corporate worship or in prayer, and we can just be singing the lights out. I was singing my lights out today and worship together. And then like a switch that just flipped off, you can see God's word, not as a joy, but as a burden. How often do we see? As important things as scripture and and prayer and the corporate gathering of God's people as just mere religious duty. How many times do we just kind of flip and we just say, you know, all of a sudden it just flips for us. And all of a sudden we're not resting. And all of a sudden, we're actually not even resting. We're kind of belaboring the fact that we have to open the Scriptures, we have to open our Bibles, or we have to pray, or we have to sit in silence before God. A lot of times, we don't remember and realize and believe that God has called us to a Sabbath rest and enjoy time with Him. So oftentimes we have such a hard time resting in God that it's so hard to rest that God literally has to has to stop us in some way. Um, That kind of happened with me in this past week when I was actually at a campsite and I was looking forward to so much. preparation that you have to do that once you get to the retreat site you're not rested you're just thinking about the next things you're going to do and you're trying to pack as many things as you're going to possibly pack in a 24-hour schedule and the vacation that you are looking for did not becomes a vacation it just looks like another schedule of things and it was so hard to rest and so I was, um, in the morning, I tried to redeem as much time. I've been waking up with Grant early uh, because of these F3 workouts. Um, and at 4.45, so it just ingrained in me, I just wake up early. And I'm like, I need to go for a run. So I go for a run, um, and then I, I get to the island, I have some time with God, and then I come back, and I'm like, I'm going to do not just one workout, I'm going to do two. And so, and then, I, and then I go up this hill, and I'm like, yes. Hills, because you don't see hills in Houston, right? There is no hills. There's no hill country or anything. The, the biggest hill that we have is the Jersey Village Carol Fox Park Hill um, that we have here. And that's really the only thing we have. And so I'm like, I'm gonna just power up this hill like I'm a 20-year-old. And so I'm running and running, and all of a sudden my left calf muscle just burst in pain. And before, I was just running like a marathon runner, and then at the very end, I was just hopping and, <laughs> and hopping like a blaggard 40-year-old. And for the rest of the day, I spent in this cottage just having to do nothing but just sit in um, my chair and rest my leg. And that was the hardest time for me. Not. I felt guilty for Christine cuz she had to take the kids and obviously she's very pregnant right now and um that really made me feel terrible but also it took me a lot of time to want to rest god literally had to pull my leg <laughs> before I was forced deep some a lot of times we are scared of resting with God of actually finding our rest in God we are afraid of being um, uh, just finding our rest in anything else and so we get so into our schedules that we want to be just so efficient with our time. We maximize our work weeks. And then there's also a real anxiety that we don't want to be lazy, and so we make sure we don't err on that side too. At the same token, we, we know that there's an oppressive burden that we could be so hardworking that we don't take rest at all. And maybe because of our upbringing, our work ethic, um, or maybe we could just be tempted to believe that somehow God is not pleased with us unless we have done enough for Him. And so perhaps if we have really asked ourselves, Maybe the real issue is that our heart, we have idolatry in activity. I just realized for the, probably the millionth time that I'm addicted to doing things. You know, and the moment that I pause to rest, the buzz of a cell phone or a buzz of a notification of an email or Facebook or whatever can immediately break me out of that rest. Maybe you're going to me and saying, well, maybe at this time rest is not an option. You don't know my, my work week. You don't know my days. My days are never-ending, vicious cycle of getting to the end of a work day. And so I want to ask you, even if that's the case, are we ever really at rest? And if we are at rest, are we really resting in Jesus? Well, I would like us to invite us into what Jesus um, speaks to us as true us. We're going to see how the Pharisees' uh, legalistic burdens comes crashing down on Jesus and try, tries just to, to take him down. And In the midst of their scrupulous law-keeping, Jesus is going to announce that something greater has come. And I think the message is that this is what Jesus wants to give us today. And so I'd like us to see that God has saved us for something greater than the rat race and the vicious cycle of busyness or even activity. But true rest. So let's go ahead and take a look back um, at Matthew um, chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight to thirty, because that's connected to our passage today. And then let's get into um, the first couple of verses of chapter twelve. And Jesus says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So we see prior to this that Jesus has only experienced maybe some rumbles of oppositions. like, Far away, thunder from their religious establishment. But now we're entering a new phase in this chapter. As we get back into our study of Matthew, now we're entering a chapter in which the Pharisees are dead set believing that Jesus is a heretic and he needs to be out and be silenced. And out of their preconceived duty, they needed to shut Jesus' ministry down. And so we're going to see the opposition gets fiery, and and they just want to destroy him. And so they are setting out traps to flagrantly violate the law. But then also notice, as we have read, that there is a deep connection between this chapter and also chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, in that the next verse, after Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that is the very next verse, see, The connection at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And here we have to note that there is a connection, an intimate connection between Jesus' words in chapter 11 and also in chapter 12. That they would have associated Jesus' call for rest from the Pharisees' scrupulous law keeping and their oppressive rules and regulation by just this mention of the Sabbath. Now, before we get into that, we have to understand that there really is no precedent in our culture to really explain what, how important the Sabbath is. We may be tempted to think that the Sabbath is really this old, ancient, irrelevant holiday. But no, I want to tell you that the Jew, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath rest and the Sabbath day was life. It was central to their religious activity. It was on par with faithfulness to the living God and to his covenants. First, you look back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, and you see the solemnity of the command in Exodus chapter 20, 8 through 11. And feel free to flip with me or just to listen um, to these Old Testament passages. Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. We see the Sabbath was so sacred, so set apart, that all work was completely stopped on this day. And it was actually a time of great rest and a great rejoicing in God. And we see this um, in in Isaiah chapter 56, 4 through 7, um, but we see that there was no, this was no lighthearted option. This was no suggestion. This was mandatory. Can you imagine if the government mandated a Labor Day not once a year but once a week? I would be, yes, amazed and so encouraged that we would get a Labor Day. But I don't, I'm not sure if that's really going to (laughs) work. But just think about that. Every day, every week was a Labor Day. Honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy was life. You did not honor this. You were not a Jew. In fact, one of the big reasons that uh, was given for the, the, the banishment and the exile of the Jewish people to Babylon was because of their disobedience, specifically for the fact that they did not keep their Sabbath. If you look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17-27, to 27, it's one of the, um, the major prophets right after Isaiah, Jeremiah 17-27, he writes this, But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and will not be quenched." The prophet Jeremiah just condemns them for being stiff-necked and not honoring the Sabbath. And as a result, they were banished from their land until those days of Sabbath that they should have celebrated were actually made up. So this was one of the reasons why, when you turn to 2 Chronicles 36, 20-21, is that God took his people, his Israel people, his nation of Israel, into exile so that all the Sabbaths that they had profaned would be kept up to 70 years. So you can imagine how much Sabbath was in their culture. It was a big thing. And in fact, they probably don't want to, They didn't want to go back to that, right? So hopefully, and what you see is the problem in that in order to keep people keeping the Sabbath, that's why the Pharisees, because you wonder, like, why were they so bent out of shape about the Sabbath? Well, the, that's one of the big reasons. Not as also just to honor God. But the Pharisees had added on regulations to make sure people kept the Sabbath, but also treated it, they treated it. Uh, as law and not suggestions. So some examples were travel restrictions, right? The logical question to ask was, well, if I can't travel on the Sabbath, then how long can I travel without actually working? And the Pharisees reasoned, well, if a man can walk the equivalent of one Sabbath of about a uh, thousand yards, then that's okay. But if you walk further than that, that was sin. Same thing with Sabbath, Sabbath regulations from carrying a load, Jeremiah 17, 21 to 27. Well, what was considered a load? The Pharisees reasoned that if you had clothing, you were doing your laundry, and you carried the load of laundry, that was um, work. But if you put it on, that was not work. So the simple thing to do, um, if, you had, if it was cold in the next room, you just put the jacket on, walk to the second room, take it off, and make sure you just drop it to the floor. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be guilty of working on the Sabbath day. Also, it even goes down to 39 laws, even ranging down to how you spit. You know that if you spit on the floor, on the ground, and then, and then it, it, it mixed in with the dirt and made like a hole? That was considered work. But if you spit on a stone... You'd be good. <laughs> all right, so just 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 a heads up for all those you 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 need to do that. But uh, that <laughs> there is all these thirty nine regulations and laws ranging down to how you spit. And, and, and so now you kind of understand that as Jesus was walking along down the grain fields, this was within allowable Sabbath restrictions because there's a lot of open fields and there's connected pathways on those family fields that he was within his boundaries. But then when you get to what the disciples were doing, when you turn back to Matthew uh, chapter 12, is that what they were doing was they were plucking grain. And they were separating the chaff from the grain. And then they were grinding the grain in their hands to prepare it to eat. And that meant they they were guilty of not only reaping but threshing. And then by eating it, this crossed the line that they were reaping. And in their eyes, the disciples were guilty of preparing a meal, which according to their extra-biblical rules was forbidden. And so when I think about this passage, I always have this mental image of You know, the Pharisees just patrolling uh, uh, up and down the field looking for somebody, you know, just to violate the Sabbath. Well, that's probably doubtful that it happened. But with the increasing opposition here in this chapter on Ford in Matthew's gospel and in Jesus' ministry, they're finding every reason to accuse him of violating the law. And so you would think, hey, man, if you were Jesus, you got to call out your disciples. They most expected him. They most certainly expected Jesus to do that. But that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't do this. He didn't question the law either, but he questioned their interpretation of the Sabbath law using three arguments. And he didn't appeal to reason, he didn't appeal to logic, he didn't appeal to some outside authority. He didn't um, take issue to the Pharisees' clothes or to, you know, anything. He, he took issue to the same standard that both he and the Pharisees appealed to, and that was the Old Testament. And how many of us can argue back with the Old Testament? Not that the goal is to argue, but how many of us are that biblically illiterate that we can reason which if we only had part of the Scriptures, we had the Old Testament. I find myself just amazed by Jesus' wisdom here, that Jesus is not going to just prove that he is innocent his disciples are in his sin, he's going to bring them back to the law, he's going to show them the intent of the law, and then to, to and show them the intent of Sabbath, that it was to bring people rest and joy. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests." So first, Jesus refers to this example of David and his men eating the consecrated bread. And, and you can find that in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. In this well-known story, David was, well, uh, was anointed as the king of Israel, but he was aided by Saul, and so Saul was going after David to pursue and kill him. So he flees to the city called Nob, and though he was anointed king, he had no shelter, no provisions, but he was just exhausted, tired, and hungry, and he asked the priest Ahimelech, Hey, do you have anything to eat? And the only thing that he had to offer him was these 12 loaves of consecrated bread that they had uh, baked weekly each Sabbath. These were 12 pieces of bread or loaves of bread that stood for the 12 tribes of Israel, which were only to be eaten by the priests. Um, and so, but yet, because David was God's anointed and he was serving God, God did not condemn David or Ahimelech for this. No, God had permitted a small Sabbath regulation to be violated in order to meet his people's needs because the Sabbath bread was not to impose burden, but to give rest and to provide need to his people. And look at with me when Jesus said, have you not read? He's not saying that and not accusing them that they've never read it. He's saying they just didn't get it. Had they really dug the intent of the Sabbath, they would see that the Sabbath was not to put on oppressive burdens, but to give mercy, just as in David and his men's case. And so if God could do this for David, the most revered figure arguably in, in Judaism, surely an exception could be made for human need, which is behind the real intent of the law. So that was the first thing. Then second thing, Jesus also goes on and says in verse 5, Or have you not read the law, how on Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus says this, that even the priests, they actually are doing what is contrary to the Sabbath law because they're the ones who are actually doing the work of sacrifices. Sacrifices. They were the ones tending the altar fires, some which, which burned all day for the Lord. They woke up early just able to tend these fires. They would also kill sacrificial animals, and then on the Sabbath days, that would be actually double the amount of work. You can check that out in Numbers chapter twenty-eight, nine through ten. And so, if the priests themselves. We're doing all this work, and they were held guiltless. How much more is Jesus to be held guiltless, especially since he is far greater? He says this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here And this must have just shocked and horrified the Pharisees. In their minds, they could not fathom what was more important than the temple, more important than honoring the Sabbath. But here Jesus affirms his authority and his identity is greater than the temple. And this must have been offensive to the Pharisees. But Jesus, he is not scared of offending anyone. And I think that really should remind us, That if we have such a weight in the Scriptures, in the Word of God, then who are we to think that we are going to offend somebody? Or who are we to think that we should think so hard about offending somebody if it is really the truth of the Word of God? Jesus is the Son of God. He was happy to point people to himself, because in terms of degree, you see the Sabbath law here, and then you see Jesus on this higher plane. Jesus was bringing this something greater, a greater kingdom, which completely overshadowed anything that they would have ever experienced, and they would have been given this kingdom which overshadowed the temple sacrificial system. Because this temple system could never take away sin, but was due to endless blood sacrifices, the people here were trapped in an endless cycle of religious observance, of scrupulous law-keeping, one that will never lead them to God. And here comes, he came to fulfill the law's demands with the blood of millions of bulls and goats and sheep could never do, and that was to bring full atonement for your sin and for my sin. Jesus was the both the kingly priest and the sacrifice who laid himself down as a willing, once and for all, sacrifice. And now he promises to usher in a kingdom in which he will offer true forgiveness and also rest for the weary traveler. He will give eternal forgiveness through his own blood. And he will give an identity and an authority by encouraging and inviting people to be a part of his kingdom. And This is the Jesus that something greater is promised to us in this passage and also, for those of us who are not walking with him, that this Jesus Christ, the same one that has died and risen again and taken upon the sin of the world and taken upon the sacrifice when he did it all in his own body and in his blood, he offers himself to you and I that you can be in eternal relationship with him, that you can have your sins forgiven, that you can receive um, a kingdom, and you can receive a family, and you can be a part of something even greater than what you can even imagine in your own story. And for the traveler, for all of us who are traveling, for all of us who are finding rest, all of us who are on this journey and has not found this rest, Jesus offers us a drink from the river of life. Let us come and let us drink, because in him no one thirsts again. Well, verse 7 and verse 8. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus calls out the Pharisees that they read the Old Testament law, but they really didn't know what it meant. Again, if they had known the Old Testament law and the intent behind the Sabbath was mercy, and that was more important than sacrifice. If they knew that, they would have responded with mercy. And I wonder if Jesus would take a look at us and ask us if you had but known what this means. I want us to read the Scriptures in light of that and ask ourselves, are we like the scrupulous, law-keeping Pharisees or are we like the people, the disciples, the ones that are saying, Lord, and receiving God's Word and receiving His Word Really striving to get down to the heart and the intent of it, and the big part of it was mercy. He quotes Hosea six six, where mercy is set over sacrifice. It's not to say sacrifices are important, are unimportant, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not our it's not our sacrifices that characterize us as the people of God. It is the mercy and compassion um, that we have because we've been given the greatest mercy and compassion that we could ever find in life. Not the religious observance of outward laws, not the mechanical and heartless obedience to going through a religious checklist. It's not just doing what we need to do because it's right. No, it's not saying that. Jesus said that you don't have to go to the temple. It's not saying that you don't have to make sacrifices. He's saying that if the extent of your spirituality is saying that all you're doing is outwardly conforming to the rules and yet failing to have mercy and justice and faithfulness to God's heart, That's no relationship with God. That is fake. And that is inauthentic. And that is not what God has promised you and I. That's not the extent of our God who reigns on high, but yet who has a God who is merciful, abounding in love, and gracious and compassionate, reserving judgment to the third and fourth, and even to the hundredth generation's. You know, the Pharisees have lost sight of all this. And I hope that we don't lose sight of what's really important. It's mercy. God, in His great mercy, has given relief from the daily burden of Sabbath. But instead of relieving burden, the Pharisees added burdens to the law that the people were not able to bear. And so they were pointing fingers and Jesus graciously turned their eyes back at their own hearts. They were the real violators of the Sabbath more than the disciples were. And so for us in verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's just a reminder. God is giving us a gracious reminder that if we have any doubt of who Jesus is, let us not fall to just the casual compliance with His laws Let's not just stick to religious adherence to doing things for the sake of being spiritual or for the sake of having business because God doesn't need all that. And the people of God is characterized by a deep abiding love and a deep abiding sense that we have been the recipients of a great mercy. This is the Jesus that we all know in love and worship for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If there's any doubt of who Jesus is, let it be laid to rest because the Son of God brought the kingdom, something greater, at his arrival, and he's fulfilled it in the Old Testament law and its requirements. He's fulfilled the temple sacrifices. He's fulfilled the yoke and the burden of discipleship and the burden of doing things just for the sake of doing things, but that he is giving us and renewed in us a heart that delights in enjoying God and worshiping him and serving him and sitting at his feet and just resting at the feet of Jesus. And this is an invitation Because only Jesus has the right to do this. He has the only one who's the true interpreter of what Sabbath was. And to Jesus, Jesus is saying, y'all, it's not about nitpicky adherence to rules. Y'all got it wrong. Discipleship offers something greater. It's not just enforcing rules. It's an invitation to rest at the feet of Jesus. It's not a call of performance, but a call to surrender from any need to earn God's approval. It's a call of fellowship that we can rest in Jesus's once and all sacrifice on the cross. It's the same thing for everyone who is here that if you are tired of trying, if you are tired of doing your relationship with God on your own, if you're tired of traveling to rest, that does not offer any rest. Jesus says to you, I come and rest. There is room, oh, there is room at the table. Receive the rest that I have died for you and have beaten death to give you life and life abundantly. So if you are weary and heavy laden today, tired of beaten, being beaten down, trust me. If you're living in the fear of measuring up, that's just slavery. And God just wants you to simply rest in Him to stop pleasing God by your own performance, because that's not God's hearts for you. He is a God abounding in loving kindness and mercy, and Jesus has come to just free you of that. But yet we've tried and we've tried and we tried. We fail God miserably. We come to the table again in repentance and confession and repentance and and confession. We fail and we fail and we fail and fall short of the obedience that God requires. And For that we merited an eternal death. But in his mercy for God. But God in his mercy. He has raised us up in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And he's offered us grace. Surrender to Him. He has risen from the grave to break the power of sin and death. It's not that Jesus is offering you to do this, this, and this. If you prove yourself good enough or if you clean up your act, He simply offers you Himself. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the role, the author of our faith, the sole interpreter of the Sabbath, and the true provider of Sabbath rest, the rest that you're looking for. So as we stand, and as I invite the worship team to come forward, I'd like us to take a look at ourselves. Not that we need to always just look inwardly, but we want to also look outwardly at the gospel. The application today is simply this, is that Jesus is the end and the answer and also the journey. He is inviting you to a deeper communion with you than what you can even imagine, ask, or think, because he's that, he's that someone who is greater. And so if that's you today, if you're struggling on this road and you're weary of trying to do things on your own or trying to earn religious brownie points with God, I just invite you to confess as the prayer team comes forward. And maybe this is a time just of confession and prayer and coming before him in deep repentance and just saying, Lord, I surrender these things to you. Maybe if um, you're going through a particularly hard season and you need prayer for refreshment and rest and renewal, maybe this is a time where you can come before him and come with one of our uh, prayer warriors who would love to pray for you, love to lift you up. And if you're not a believer in Jesus and you're weary of just going on this journey, and knowing that, that you are walking, maybe alone. Know that you're not alone. God has come to save you, redeem you, and to be with you in this journey. So let's, let's come before God as we sing and as we worship. And let's come before him father thank you so much for this time and we pray father that you would be working and moving in our hearts even now we pray that your spirit would work in power we pray that against the enemy in every single possible way we cancel every assignment from the enemy any disruption anything that might cause uh distraction or chaos or even a lack of vulnerability father we are open we are bare and naked before you oh god and we come just bearing what you already know about us. And Father, I pray that we would pour out our hearts and pour out our spirits. Wherever we are, wherever we are weary, wherever we are struggling, oh Father, I pray that you would just remind us that we can cast our burdens on you because you care for us. Father, I pray that, Lord, if there is anybody in this room who is weary of this fight and has not lived as surrender to Jesus, as king over their life, I pray that they would give their lives to you and be discipled and be a part of your kingdom and family. Father, take this time and use it for your own ends and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.